will be haunted by my podcasting forever. Hoot hoot! I knew exactly what you were going to do, even before you said anything. Like, because for so many reasons, what we're going to talk about today, as I was watching it, I was like, this is Carter to a T. Everything about this is everything that makes up him as a person. That specific character or the universe as a whole? The entire universe... That character, like, especially. Anytime there is someone with, like, an odd voice, you are just like, yep, I'm going to do impressions of that thing. Like, oh my god, when Rick and Morty was, like, fresh on the scene, you would not stop doing... You would not stop doing a Morty voice. It was awful. What? I did... What the hell are you talking about, madame? I barely did that. I would just say, aw, jeez, a lot. Yeah, yeah, a lot in the voice. It was Gosh. terrible. Anytime a character comes in the scene with like an interesting voice that you can do, you don't stop doing it for a while. And yeah. this is your voice right now. You've okay. been doing this a lot. But that's basically just my voice. I have a very weaselly, like, ah, man, kind of voice. Like, it's easy for me to sink into that. It's, I, I, what, what the hell is this? I feel like we're litigating something brand new here. I did not expect, like, I walk in yeah. the door and immediately you start blasting. <laughs> for me to be like, I've been meaning to tell you. Yeah, actually. <laughs> uh, welcome to the Disney Desk, everyone. I'm Carter. And I'm Sydney. And we just flew in from a galaxy far, far away, and boy, are our hyper drives tired? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so... Um, did you guys like it? What, what did you think? Honestly, that's maybe the hardest I've ever worked on an episode. I'm really glad we finally got that... Like, I know. Off our chest. We got all of that out of the way. Yeah. And honestly, we could talk about Star Wars all day. Like, good thing we, you know, we kept our we kept all of that at bay pretty well. But, you know, yeah. we could we could go on and on and on if we really wanted to about Star Wars. <laughs> we kept that episode under two hours, which is the victory for me. And now that we've officially talked about Star Wars, I I can I'll say we can completely punt on Mandalorian season three. I do not feel like getting into that discourse. Instead, we can talk about other things. You know, I saw a clip the other day, before we get into Internet Minute, um, that, like, Lizzo is going to be on an episode of The Mandalorian. And I was like, I was like, so is this the new love boat? Honestly, that's a really apt comparison. And I'm, (laughs) my counter to the people who are angry about that is, I'm like, isn't that fun, though? Love boat, but in space? Isn't that exactly what we... <laughs> is that not what the people demand? But no, no, because the first episode of Mandalorian was all grim, dark, and gritty, and ha- he kills a guy by splitting, slicing him in half. It's like, no, this is the man show. I'm like, bitch, at the end of episode one, we get a baby Yoda, and then the second egg is about him helping a bunch of Jawas finding an egg. Come on now. This is I what the know. show's been for love... years now. The love boat got pretty serious. My next-door neighbor there was, was on that show. drama. Really? Yes. I wish I could remember her name off the top of my head, but she was a regular cast member. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> I We will talk about this later. I. Anywho. But yes, um, I'm actually, speaking of what topics we've covered past, present, and future, I am really excited about this. This is arguably one of our most topical episodes uh, ever. Right. Um, we are doing a Sydney's Never Seen 
for the Disney Channel original show, The Owl House. Ooh. Woo. No. Or who? <laughs> right. Um, it's my understanding that we're... We have been talking about doing this for some time now, but we put it... We scheduled it for now because mm-hmm. the, like... And I'll be off an alley is happening soon, or it has happened. Yes. So originally we talked. We've been talking about it just theoretically as like one of the episode polls. I've I know I've wanted to do because I feel like I follow sort of the Dis- current Disney Channel lineup a little more closely than you do overall, or at least like the ones that have the like current ones. Yes, the current ones. You are, are probably way more versed in like the Kim Possible era, but for me, this has been kind of sure. One of my, like, oh, I just like watching, you know, these are my go-to watch when I'm not sure what I want to watch. Um, between yeah. this, Amphibia, DuckTales, uh, I actually just started The Ghost in Molly McGee, and I'm like, son of a gun. This is so much of what <laughs> I want to do with uh, Soul Scouts. So I guess that eliminates Disney mm. from the list of people I can sell this to. Um, but anyway, um, yes, and I knew I wanted to do one of them at some point, and I wasn't sure... And conveniently, the, well, inconveniently, depending on who you ask, the Owl House is having its grand finale, series finale, um, this coming Saturday. Um, So I Mm. thought it would be a really fun opportunity for you to kind of engage with the show and an opportunity to talk about, for me, why I think this show matters, why I think this is kind of one of the crown jewels in modern Disneydom. Right. Yes. So we are excited to get into some Owl House goodness. Yes, some Owl House, Owl Pellets. I know. No, 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 no. What do owls eat? Some owl mice. Some owl voles. Some owl voles. Some owl voles. Yeah, that's where we're going with today. I love. I was like, let's do this topical. I'll drop it early. We'll get so many viewers, and anyone who's brand new to this show will just be like. What the fuck? What the hell is this? Yeah, pretty much. But on that note, before we begin, it is time for Internet Minute. Cue the horn. You have been hyping up your Internet Minute for this week as something that will blow my socks off. Keep in mind, I have shoes on, so this is going to be a really hard challenge because you're going to have to take the shoes with them. So (laughs) let's see what you got. Okay, so... Um, again, as, as most of my internet minutes have come from Twitter, this one is no different. This is actually like, a a find within a find. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but like somebody on Twitter shared, um, a picture of the anyone can cook cookbook from Ratatouille. Mm -hmm. It must be like a screenshot from something because there's like a watermark over top of it for something called mousemingle.com Carter Glace there is in existence some sort of Disney dating website okay oh Sorry, my uh, socks came off right there. Had to chase after them. <laughs> Sorry about let that. Let me let me read you an do you have an to? excerpt from 
Mm-hmm. You know what? You're right. Why would I ask such a question? <laughs> yes, I do. First of all, let me preface this by saying this website, like, I was like, do I even want to be on this website? It's shady looking AF. It is I'm weird. afraid to click the like, link. I don't want my computer to is die. This a, is this a legitimate website? Oh, please do. Like, <sighs> I've Fine. I found out that this is... Destruction. Because it's, like, on Twitter, like, the tweet that I found, someone was like, um, what's mousemingle.com? And then in the, like, like other people investigated this as well. So once I saw that, I was like, okay, other people have gone to this website and can confirm that it's a website. It's just, it looks like it was made for, right, like, $10. So, anyway, Mouse Mingle. God, this looks like a 2000 Mouse Mingle site. is the place for people. Yeah, it is. Is the place for people to connect who love Disney, Star Wars, Pixar, Marvel, and all things Disney, who want that same magic in their relationship. Mousemingle.com is dedicated to fans of all things Disney. Traditional internet dating sites don't understand the passion people have for all things Disney. You know what, you're right. And then further down, you're, you're sure right. Further down, it has these little categories, and it says, Disney fans, find your Mickey or Minnie, or Ellie or Carl. Star Wars fans, find your Han, or Leia, or Luke, or Rey, because as we mentioned in our last episode, there's a lot of incest in... So the three of them are like a... Anyway, Marvel fans, find your Tony or Pepper, or Steve, or Peggy. that's a little better. And there are... Yeah, I didn't mind those, but there are real-ass people on this website, and I think some of them pay money to use it to a degree. I don't think it's very much, but 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 there are people, real adults, who use... First of all, here's the first thing I want to say. If you had a Disney-themed dating site, like, what would you call it? Because I feel like Mouse Mingle Yeah, sucks. that just sounds gross. Like, I feel like I need... I, I need to shower. Yep. I, I, like, I feel <laughs> weird. Um, I wouldn't want to use anything with... Disney dating? Maybe, maybe just Disney dating. I wouldn't want to do any alliteration with Walt, because that just feels weird. It's like, Walt Disney here, looking at you two holding hands. Um, I can't me. do the voice. <laughs> See, that voice I can't do. Um... <laughs> What would you call it? Yeah, Disney dating is the only thing that makes sense, but I'm assuming you'd get sued into, like, out of the sky. (laughs) Right. Oh, man. Um, Um, Magic mates? Magic meet? Magic meetups? Well, that sounds like a sex thing. I mean, I guess dating sites are sex things, but more so than usual. Um, Yuck. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Magic mates. Why would you? Magic match. Magicmatch.com. Magic or com. Yeah, but that could for be that. for wizards. That's true. Yeah, I guess. And close-up magicians who are just Maybe this wizards. shouldn't exist. I mean, it definitely Maybe this shouldn't. shouldn't. <laughs> this falls under the camp of, like, the bluey Airbnb for me, where I'm like, there has to be a degree of separation between me and all the things I like. Like, I can't just be... This can't <laughs> be my whole personality. Right. Otherwise, I feel like I'm going insane. Like, I, I my brain You're can't. Right. It, it, it just, I need at least a chunk of my brain in, like, regular old, I do taxes world. Yes. <laughs> okay. Bad example, but you know um, what I mean. This, this is, this is what I've brought to you today. Um, wh- what else can be said about it? Because you know what? 
I, I don't know about you, I, I've decided, I don't, I don't feel 100% ethical about making fun of Disney adults. Oh, Especially I if there's a chance that I might be one. Except, like, what the fuck is this? I don't, yeah, it, again, <laughs> I, like, I can't say it better than I said it last time, where I'm like, I want to stand up for you guys, but why, in the right. name of God, why did you come to school on Halloween <laughs> dressed up as Daisy Duck? What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> you know how cruel your peers are. Why would you walk right into that? Yeah. Carter, what do you have today? I have something a lot more fun that I actually think can be a little bit of a conversation. Um, so I mm. also decided to go to Twitter because I like that you always bring tweets. I usually just bring boring like news stuff. Um, so this is from, uh, at Scott Falco. Um, he is actually a pretty prom, well, a relatively prominent YouTuber. He does animation. He's mostly famous for his With a Side of Salt series, where he, like, basically reviews, um, games in a relatively fun format. Uh, I'll give him credit. Uh, he got off the Overwatch train way before I was willing to admit it was derailing. I still got off in time, okay. but, you know, my elbows got all scraped up. Um. Right. <clears throat> After watching uh, the movie, uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie in question, in its entirety, I can confirm Peach is just the Super Mario Adventure Peach and not, in fact, Daisy. So there was a lot of... He actually made a comment, because the one clip they've shown from this movie is Peach running through an obstacle course that is supposed to be like an amalgamation of a Mario level. And he made the mm -hmm. comment, this is just Daisy. You just put Daisy in a Peach skin. And mm. that is something I pushed... I feel like I've talked a lot around this podcast, but never quite on this podcast about, like, I found the discourse around Peach as a character very confusing. At least the idea that she doesn't have a personality. And, like, okay. granted, a lot of my stuff is colored, especially by Mario Odyssey, but also, like, the RPGs. Like, for me, Princess Peach has never been, like, a damsel in distress. For me, and I've described her to you thusly, I've always viewed her as kind of like a Lois Lane figure, where the only reason they get captured is because they're a go-getter, because they're a woman of action. Like, I've always liked this idea of Peach as like, oh, you know, nothing ever really happens in the Toad School Kingdom. It's basically Hobbiton, where it's like, you know, everything's really chill. We throw parties, we eat, we make cakes, you know. Like, the only times it gets interesting is when, like, Bowser rolls up, and Peach is like, oh, I can be an adventuring queen? Hell yeah, let's go. Um, and the comic he references here, the Super Mario Adventures, is actually a great example of that. Like, Bowser, it's basically, like, a pseudo-origin-y story for, like, the Mario characters. And, mm -hmm. like, Bowser rolls up, and Peach, like, starts roundhouse kicks. She starts, like, just beating everyone up. And I'm like, she's been waiting for this moment basically right. <laughs> since the day she was coronated and like i do like i i would like some respect on princess peach's name like the only reason she gets captured is because she's willing to get to the front lines you know she loves her people but also realizes they're helpless so she's got to do the work she's got to get right. her hands dirty she's got to be a crusading queen like i don't know it, it's also mm -hmm. it's just interesting with all of this mario movie discourse that they, it's weird that Nintendo hasn't really gone in on a princess brand because now they actually have a small little collection of princesses that they could easily, right. like, really push. Because you have Princess Peach, who's, like, you know, a little dainty, a little flat. Like, she's the, like, sort of classical flowery princess. You have Daisy, mm -hmm. who's, like, the tomboy sports one. 
you have Paulina, you know, she's the girl boss, she's the mayor. And you have right. Rosalina, who's like the aloof, spacey one, who also might be a goddess of mm. creation and destruction who can endure, destroy entire universes. You know, right. the classic archetypes. You know, girl stuff. Yeah, yeah. Girl, girl stuff. Right. That's really interesting, but I certainly feel confused. I, I don't have as, as extensive of a history with Nintendo as you do, or with, with anything related to Mario. Mm-hmm. So I certainly have never seen her in that light before as being more than a, a damsel. Because the only context I've ever seen her in, it, well, except for in, like, Mario Kart. But, like, certainly after playing and completing Odyssey, I'm like, because certainly, at least just in that game, she's just helpless. But, um... So I don't know. So so how so how does this tie into the movie? Like, well, because just all the discourse does she around... step into girl boss mode or well, or that's like how people are calling it. Basically, so okay, the hook with the movie that I actually think is kind of fun is instead of Princess Peach getting captured, it's Luigi gets captured. So it's Mario and Peach right. teaming up to go rescue Luigi, and she is like you know she's like running around she's doing action stuff she gets the biker suit Mm -hmm. um to go on the mario kart bit she's like you know punching punching goombas and koopas as chris pratt would say right um you know she's putting in the work um right okay and i just like the discourse becomes like oh they girl bossified her oh i see and And so your argument is that she has had that within her all along yes the power was inside her all along. She just needed right. um, a giant warship not to blow up her house once or twice. Um, and right. also, I feel like my opinion skewed just because the first Mario game I ever really got into was Mario 2, which is like the weird, odd one where you can play as Mario, Luigi, Peach, and Toad. And I was always like, well, Ooh. Peach can run and jump just about as well as Mario, and she can float. She can literally glide on her giant, mm. poofy skirt. Why is she not considered better? Right. But, um, hmm, interesting. I don't know. The discourse for this movie has somehow already become exhausting. Uh, I don't yeah. know how this was possible, but I guess that's just the world we live in now. Sorry, I still have some of the cynical gunk from our um, uh, Lorax episode apparently all over me, or grumpy gluck, well, as um, Dr. Seuss would say. It's hard to shake that stuff, you know? Yeah. Okay, before we return to the show... Um, we have to give a shout out to one of our listeners. So if you remember the very first Internet Minute installment that we did, um, I brought this picture that I found on Reddit of a, a Woody's Roundup cake. And I reached out to the creator of that cake um, to let them know what we were doing, um, if, if they would be okay with me sharing the picture on Instagram. If they had an Instagram, they did not. Um, so I ended up giving them um, or the link to listen to the show so that they could hear, you know, what we had to say. And this past Sunday, I got an email from this person. Um, um, his name is Shane, and he says, Hi, Sydney and Carter. I'm the guy who made the Toy Story cake you spoke about. I gave the podcast a listen and wanted to say thank you for your kind words. It's appreciated. I've listened to a few episodes so far and I'm really enjoying it. 
The Disney 100 exhibit sounded amazing. I'll definitely have to try and check it out if it comes to... Um, I loved the Villains episode, too. I have a Disney Villains tattoo sleeve and a Hocus Pocus one. And he also included more images of these really amazing cakes um, that he's made. He told me that he doesn't have a business or anything. He just makes them for family and friends, and he's really talented. So we just wanted to give him a quick shout-out and um, say thanks for being a new listener. We're so happy to have you. Um, And thanks for sharing your Disney talents with me. That was cool. Um, But we're so glad to hear that you're um, enjoying the podcast. So welcome. Honestly, this kind of inspired me to try and be more, like, fan-centric with a lot of our internet minutes because it's like, Disney has inspires a lot of creativity. It inspires a lot of fans to make cool things. And I feel like it would be right. cool to like lean into that and celebrate that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, um, we really just wanted cool. to give a quick shout out. Thank you, Shane. Um, and maybe hopefully he won't mind if I, because he does, he's not on Instagram. So perhaps I'll be able to share some of these images with you all so that you can see some of his really amazing work. Um, it's really impressive. He made, did I, I showed you Oh these. yeah, I have the email up right now. Um, oh yeah, 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 I did. Oh, I just forwarded it to you. Yeah, so you saw this, like, he's got a, a book cake from Hocus Pocus, the book. Um, he's got like a Jack Skellington um, as Sandy Claus cake. He's got an animal, a Muppets animal, like, um... It's really amazing. So thank you so much, Shane, for sharing, and thanks for being a new listener. Yes, thank you. And now, back to your regular scheduled programming. The Owl House is a 2020 animated Disney Channel original show created by Dana Terrace, uh, centered around a young 14-year-old girl named Luz Noseda, who, through magical means, gets teleported to a land of witches and demons called the Demon Realm, where she's taken in by the infamous Owl Lady and goes on a series of whimsical and dark adventures to become a witch. Hmm. That's the show. Yes. Thanks so much for listening. Um, yep, that's Have that's a magical day. Um, yeah. Yes, so... Um, this show, um, this show is, um, sort of a, it's, it's always been bubbling in the internet community for a while. Obviously it came out right at the start of the pandemic. So like viewership was always an interesting question and like the fandom was always an interesting question. It's grown a pretty dedicated internet following pretty darn early. Like even in its Mm. like early, like demo pilot stuff, people were getting very hyped for it. Um, Dana Terrace kind of being popular for working on, uh, she worked on Gravity Falls and DuckTales. Um, uh, um, unfortunately, uh, the show kind of got an er- unceremonious axe. Um, its season order for season two got cut short, and then it was announced that instead of getting a full third season, it would be getting three sort of short film, like hour-long episodes to kind of wrap up the whole story. Uh, much to the dismay of both the creators and the fans. Um, mm. Even as these were finishing up production, there was a big effort to save the Owl House. And honestly, it is very interesting seeing because sort of it is interesting to see how Disney has transitioned their approach to like evaluating a show's popularity in terms of like their TV stuff. 
mm-hmm. um, because they decided to put they decided to put um, all three of these. Well, the third one hasn't come out yet. It is coming out uh, April eighth, twenty twenty three. Um, they decided to put the first two finale episodes up the same day they came out. Basically, the same day they came out on like Disney Channel, and the views have been through the roof. And on top of that, before the first one came out, uh, the Owl House had got to have its first in-person Comic-Con panel, and apparently it was sold out standing room. And basically, Disney executives kind of had had to eat a lot of crow about, like, no, we were serious, this show is popular, internet, like, internet fandom counts. Um, Right. Were you familiar with the show before I started talking about it? Um, probably in the vaguest sense, but... I feel like you've been talking about it for a really long time, along with, like, Gravity Falls and yes. stuff like that. Like, I feel like you had been mentioning it for a while. But I have been, in my adulthood, really disconnected from um, Disney and, like, Disney Channel animated series. Um, I feel like I'm just naturally, I'm just a, more of a Cartoon Network fan, as my taste. Um so even even now as watching it like this is sort of a different a we're, we're calling it Sydney's never seen but we can, we might as well call it Sydney still hasn't seen um even though I have seen it I just have not studied it because like I didn't really care for it I'm even kind of surprised a little bit to hear that um that there that that like a a Comic-Con panel would sell out as standing room only um, because I kind of don't get it. Like, hmm. it's not that I, well, it, that's not fair. It's not that I don't get it. I don't get what is so, I just didn't, it just didn't tickle my fancy at all. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I, like, you have been hinting at this as we've been building up to this episode. Like, I gave you a couple episodes to watch. I gave you, like, a short list of episodes to watch, and then I cherry-picked a couple that I'm like, this kind of gives you the best sense of the show. And for a while, I was like, hey, we can just audible to another topic. We don't have to do this. But then you kind of proposed an interesting solution. Um, This is kind of... Yeah, I still want to talk about it. I just wanted to stop watching. But I still right. wanted to talk about it. <laughs> yes. Because if my brain with ADHD, if I'm not interested, I can't do it. Like, it doesn't, mm. I cannot force myself to do something that I don't like or that I'm not interested in. And so I was like, I'm done fighting with myself. I cannot get through, I'm way behind, I've procrastinated, and it's because I don't really, and I'm not enjoying this experience. Anyway, um, so, but I'm here to, to talk to you about why you love it and why so many people love it we were even who were we talking to recently molly about yes. and she like was so excited like about this show Her and so i believe that there's yeah so so i believe that there's hype uh, that or that that people are attached to this very very much i'm just not one of those people right um so so that's what we're going to talk about today yes. um because um, i'm i'm investigating like what's the deal with outhouse yeah i mean that's kind of what excited me about still doing this episode because like if i could get you to a point where you are with steven universe where you're like i respect this and see that it is a quality product it is just personally not my mm-hmm. taste i will consider this episode that's a, a victory i already am there oh good 
then I, my job here is done. I'll put on my trench yep. coat, uh, my Columbo, <laughs> whatever Columbo wears. Oh, just one more thing, actually. Uh, um, Peter Falk. Yeah. <laughs> call this episode um, uh, Carter Explains Owl House. Um, we're borrowing exactly. that from the Caspod uh, family of networks. They've borrowed plenty from us. Uh, borrowed is putting lightly. Anyway, where do you want to start? Okay, so tell me everything you know about the history of the development of the show, because you always know something. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the funny thing. So much of what I know about this show was the lead-up to its cancellation. That's the funny thing. Like, obviously, I would see a lot of, like, tweets and a lot of, like, excited, like, commentary on it, but... It really didn't come onto my radar till I really started to notice people tweeting about it. And I was like, Owl House. Oh, yes, I know that. And sort of the two, like, big markers for me were when it really started blowing up on Twitter over the episode I sent you, Enchanted Grom, um, which has uh, the two, two of the main characters, Luce and Amity. Um, they get to dance together, and then it's revealed that Amity, who at this point has been kind of the class bully, sort of dismissive of Luce, uh, was actually going to ask her to prom. Um, and I was like, oh, wow, they're, that's really, you know, because this isn't too long, like, this is a, not that long after the Steven Universe wedding episode. Uh, and I know some people might be annoyed that I do compare this a lot to Steven Universe, but for me, that's, like, how I got into the show, because I was like, another show that is a very like, progressively forward show with a deep lore and backstory with a sort of vibrant, off-the-wall sense of humor and character, um, and also a very intense shipping culture. Um, and oddly enough, both shows I got into late, and I'm like, man, I can't wait to explore this new horizon. Why are there trenches everywhere? Why is there smoke in the air? Um, <laughs> but yes, that was, like, a very big episode. And then shortly after, like, not too long after that, uh, they announced that the second season would be the last full season, and sort of, I got into it through that discussion, a lot of that sort of, um, frustrating discourse. Dana Terrace was pretty candid about what happened, she just said, you know, it was a byproduct of the studio deemed it too serialized, it skewed older, um, and, she pointed out something that I think is important for a lot of these discussions. It really did come down to kind of just one guy who decided they didn't like this show and didn't want it in the Disney house. And I do think that's something we don't talk about enough. Like, you know, I talked a lot about like, oh, the system, man, it's the system that enables people like this. But a lot of times with like media production for like big companies, it really does just come down to one producer being a complete ass and like deciding what things should or shouldn't be. Um, Mm. the one I always reference is the original Sonic the Hedgehog design. I'm always like, that really feels like one Mm. producer just got really embarrassed that they were tasked with the Hedgehog movie and decided to try to make it look badass. And that's how we ended up with that. And like with so many... just bad. Yes. And with so many of these shows, like especially with LGBTQ representation, it really comes down to like one guy is embarrassed that he's tasked with taking care of the gay show and he finds a way to kill mm-hmm. it based off stupid, like, kind of cheese numbers and facts. So, like, honestly, I don't have as much, like, backstory on this, but, okay. like, I have a lot of, like, the history of how it's existed in the Disney space. 
Well, see, that kind of leads me into, like, my next point, because I wanted to be like, what about this made you want to start watching? But, like, I have seen, I've seen episodes one through four, and then I did watch that prom episode, and it's like, individually, like, I kind of enjoy, like, I I enjoy the experience of watching, but I don't want to keep, like, it's not something I want to return to. It's not over the garden wall for me, where I'm like, oh, this is my obsession. Like, it's just, like, I just sort of passively don't want to, yeah. But when I started watching it, I was like, oh, this is Carter to a T. Like, this is, everything about the show is exactly you, especially because I've read your writing, which is, like, over-enthusiastic, Lead, female lead um magic stuff and like gay people that's all stuff that you love and that you like get hype for Carter and that you loves in- gay people. that you're excited that yeah literally and when so the stress finally like, takes me down it's on you to make sure that's on my tombstone you're handling my affairs <laughs> understood um, so as soon as I saw the first episode, I was like, this is Carter written all over it. I can see exactly what the appeal is here. It reminded me so much of Soul Scouts, which for those of you that don't know, Soul Scouts is a script that Carter has been writing for how long? Have you been working on that? Uh, I think I wrote in 2018 or 2019. No, 2018. Mm. Yeah. Shortly after I graduated college and I misunderstood what Nickelodeon was asking me to write. Really? See, they wanted a spec script, not a uh, original script, and I misunderstood the prompt. Oh. Um, well, but, something really beautiful came of it. Yeah, I like to think so. But, yeah, like, for me, it does, it covers a lot of ground. Um, one, yeah, I love, I really like the world of this. And normally I'm not into stuff that's kind of, like, grotesque or, like, like really, really, gr- well, I wouldn't say the show's graphic. It's graphic in the sense that it's, like, abnormal. I think, like, the biggest thing I There is a lot of slime. Yes, there's a lot of slime, and there's a lot of weird magical creatures. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of really disgusting-looking things. Yes, which normally isn't my bag, but I love it in this context. For starters, it is very much, like, that meme of, like, oh, the biblically accurate angel, which is just an indefinable amalgamation of shapes and eyes. That is this show where it's, like, you know... Early in the show, they established this idea of, like, oh, all of humans' ideas of, like, witches and wizards and magic comes from here. Our stuff keeps leaking into your world. You know, witches, goblins, giraffes. Um, I will say, if you ever watch season three, there's an incredible payoff to that line. Um, Oh, God. And I like the idea that it's like, oh, yeah, we've humans sanitized all of this because the reality is it was all, like, really weird and kind of grotesque and like scary um i also love how it handles magic like all of that ties into how it handles magic because you haven't seen the green knight have you uh the green knight it came out a couple years ago through a24 dev patel was in it i was talking a lot about it oh no yes but in that movie they have a minute to stop and talk about like Someone makes a point of, like, why is he green? Color Green is the color of rot. It's the color of nature, but it's this, like, infectious color. And I right. love this idea of magic being this almost radioactive force. It's this thing that, like, just creeps its way into everything. Like, for example, the fact, like, in the Owl House, they are literally living on a giant magical creature. The Boiling Isles are right. built into the, like, corpse of a thing called a titan. 
and it's established like all of the magic in this world comes from that titan. Their ability to cast spells is because that thing is radiating magic. Like, you know, both, like, Luce eventually learns how to do magic because she can create runes, and all of the witches on the Boiling Isles establish they have a bile sack of magic because they've been on this rock for so long, it has just infected their bodies. And I'm like, that's kind of weird, but it's mm. also cool. Like, I like that idea that magic is this, like, creeping force that just kind of takes over everything it touches, um, which is really um, indicative of the main villain, which we'll get to a little bit later. I will say this episode, I'm probably going to do... I'm not. I'm going to try to avoid very specific spoilers, but I am probably going to do a bunch of broad spoilers to kind of, like, explain the series. I definitely think we should include, like, a little character breakdown, just a brief one of, like, this is this person and this is that person. Yes. Um, I will say, and that's another thing I like about this show. Like, I love... It, it's kind of one of the best things... Dis- it's At its best, Disney is really good at characters that are simultaneously simple and complex. And by that I mean... You could sell me them on a single sentence or an entire paragraph of, like, backstory and, like, personality. Like, mm. the main character's obviously loose. She, like, she has that Spongebob energy. Like, overly enthusiastic, yeah. a little off the walls. Kind of off-putting to some, but it, she eventually claws her way into your heart. And, like, at the end of the day, she's, like, like, she's just a kid trying to fit in. And I love that, like... I love that no matter where she goes, she doesn't quite fit in, but she's going to be stubborn enough to try. Like, right. my favorite line in the entire series probably is Luce saying she's trying her best to become a witch and Amity just saying, humans don't have any inherent magical abilities, but I can't imagine that's going to stop you. Um, there's Ida, who is the titular owl lady, um, sort of the um, sort of the rebel of the entire Boiling Isles. She refuses to join the coven system. She refuses to get in line with the emperor. Her sister's a stooge for the government, where she's like, no, I'm a free-spirited rebel. But her whole thing is she's also cursed. So that magic is very volatile, and if she overuses it, she will turn into a monster, um, which ties in a lot with sort of the growth of her as a character, sort of realizing, Mm. like, oh, I can't just cut loose all the time. I have responsibilities now. I have, like, a family now. Um, right king who is the little little i'm trying to think of how to describe dog yes dog with a skull face he kind of looks like he kind of looks like a cubone from uh pokemon the pokemon with a skull face he's kind of a teddy bear sentient like i don't know what to i have no idea what it is he's but it because some episodes refer to him as like a cat but i feel like that's that's sort of like a rocket raccoon, like what's a raccoon thing? Yes. Well, I will say one of the biggest revelations of the series, and I said I was going to get into broad spoilers here, so I'm sorry. Like, if you want to go in completely cold, that's understandable. But I feel like, I guess my attitude for this show is, again, it's the Steven Universe thing of like, everyone sells Steven Universe to strangers on like explaining the season one finale and how Garnet's a fusion and how like they're aliens who came to Earth, which is all stuff that gets revealed at the end of season one. Um, King is a titan so that giant body that all of them are living on he's one of them but like a baby one Um, Mm. and that was when this show really got elevated for me because I really like that idea I just like the idea of the titans in general but having just a baby one who is like that powerful as a baby is really interesting there is Mm. Hootie um, the self-insert Carter character basically who is right? He's literally the owl house. He is a little owl door who um, kind of controls the house. No one knows what he is, and I kind of hope they don't ever explain it. 
Sometimes right. I think backstory can be brisker for the sake of mystery. And that is one of the best examples. I just, I just assume that the house itself is sentient and he's just the face. Right. It, they've been weirdly vague about whether or not the house came first or he came first. Like, was this house already existing and then he just took it over and possessed it? Or right. was he, or did, was he an owl that grew a house around him? Yeah. Yes. He refers to himself as a demon, but because on the Boiling Isles, there are witches and there are demons and there are titans. Those are like the three classes of people. Um, mm-hmm. They're Why? Wait, I have a question. Why owls? Did I miss something? Like, why owls? Because... Um, as a theme. Um, I don't... I guess, like, do you mean why Dana picked owls or why she's called the owl lady in the owl house? Why... Of all of the animals, why owls? Well, like, in the lore of Dana's the show, I don't know. I'd be curious to ask her that. I think it is just because it's like, oh, owls are wise. They're a little, like, scary. Um, and specifically, Ida gets called the owl lady because when she turns into monster form, she kind of looks like an owl. And her staff is an owl, um, which... I just assume that it's because she lives in an owl house. Well, that definitely helps. She's a master of theming. Right. She's a queen of branding. Right. Above all else, exactly. Ida is a queen of branding. There is Amity, exactly. who starts out as the uh, sort of snooty class-like president who quickly ends up falling for loose um, because, you know, it's not a modern animated TV show if there isn't a candy-colored-haired lady um, who starts out as a jerk but then win- ends up getting won over by the protagonist. Um, right. And then the other th- uh, couple characters I would want to mention are uh, Willow, Gus, and Hunter, who are like... Uh, Luce's friends with various interesting backstories, and of course Emperor Bellos, who's the main villain, who is probably going to end up being a huge chunk of this conversation in terms of like why I fell in love with this show, but we'll get there. I really liked Gus. Yes, I... He's cute. Like, again, that's why, like, that's why I like this show, because again, Gus, as like a one-sentence joke of kid who's super into humans, but doesn't understand anything about the human world works it's great it kills but then also like if you go as the show progresses and you give him more time to embellish like you realize like you know he's he suffers from sensory overload he gets overwhelmed easily when stuff is put on his shoulders and because he's an illusion wizard that means he can literally create fake realities um he basically Mm. goes full wandavision um and yeah and i like willow too especially because i love the joke and I love any joke of, like, mundane and magic combined, because, like, Willow's like, oh, she's the class screw-up, she's the nerd, she's not good at anything, and it's like, folks, she can literally control the earth. She literally has plant powers. Um, mm. Like, but by the standards of everyone else in that universe, right. that's kind of lame. Right, yeah. The show has some pretty good jokes in it. Every now and again, like, I, well, I do have to admit, especially from characters like Gus, um, I think a lot of the school stuff is really charming. Just yeah. because, yeah, I think it's it's where all of the, like, just like in, like, what we talked about with the Lego movie or any sort of, like, world-building um, entity, mm-hmm. it gets, it, it, it sort of, we sort of see it at play in an environment like a school. Right. Yeah, it's like, it's a strong framing. It makes sense for Luce in context of the universe. Like, I like that this central piece of, like, world building directly relates to Luce as a character. She wants to learn how to be a witch, so she's got to go to a witch school because Edith's right. not a great teacher. Um, 
Right. Um, yeah, that's, it's something I really like about that. And it's also... One other thing I really like about this show, and I don't know... Like, the episodes you would have seen haven't really picked up on that yet. But in terms of, like, the magic and the world building... Again, I love the idea that magic isn't... Like, the magic in this world is kind of alive. And that is something we've mm-hmm. talked about before. Like, Thor's hammer can theoretically be picked up by a lot of people. But it only choose Like, it only lets certain people pick it up when the time is right. Like, I love the idea... Like... Because the idea is Luce can't naturally do magic. Witches can do magic because they've been on the Boiling Isles so long that they've basically become radioactive with magic. They can just, they have it in their blood. Whereas witches in the early days had to use runes. They had to draw on a little piece of paper, tap it, and create an elemental effect. And I love that throughout the series, these these things kind of just come to her. Like, they appear in snowflakes. They appear in, like, fire, you know. They come to her at chosen moments, and it becomes very clear that whatever's left of this titan is giving her these as, like, a gift. Like, oh, you know, you've earned this. You've got this. Um, like, particularly with the emperor, who we later find out is a human himself, um, he makes a comment at some point where he's like, man, it's amazing that you've been able to find all of these so fast. It took me forever to get all four of them. It's almost like the island was trying to keep them from me. Like, I like that idea mm. that magic has a sense of who is good and who is evil and will actively try to help good and prevent evil from getting right. it. Um, I also love that another example is, like, instead of wands, they have staffs, and all those staffs are sentient creatures. Like, the idea mm. is the little top of every staff is some kind of, like, critter or animal, which one is cute, but also, like, I like that that reflects their personality. And right. while I'm talking about all of this, I think one of the reasons why I like, if I was going to have one thesis statement for this entire episode, like if I was going to say one thing on like why I think you should give this show a shot, and I hate bringing this series up because it is so toxic and so bad, but this series is everything Harry Potter could have been, should have been, and we can have now that we need to get rid of Harry Potter. Like... If you are someone who grew up with Harry Potter and you are grappling with how to enjoy, like, what to do about the series and what it means to you in the wake of um, its creator turning out to be an actively evil person, actively trying to hurt people, I would say this series does everything Harry Potter tries to do. Not only does it better, but kind of dunks on it in the process. So... Where to start? Well, first, there's the direct parodies. So there's a lot of sports episodes in this show, and one of them is clearly supposed to be a parody of Quidditch. Um, you know, Luce's team goes all out to try to win, and then they lose because Luce didn't know she needed to get, like, the Golden Scarab. And she directly points out, well, why would anyone, why would you not, why would you bother playing the rest of the game? Um, right. Also, the coven system on the Boiling Isles, where you have to pick one kind of magic, and that's all you're allowed to do for the rest of your life. And they put that... You know, even when you start school, the idea is, well, you have to pick. And they make a joke about the sorting hat, but in this case, the sorting hat is like an eldritch child-eating monster um, that consumes <laughs> children. Um, and when I really start to think about the coven system, that is where it really started to click for me. So, because the problem with Harry Potter is the whole house system is very, very confusing in terms of, like, One, a lot of the personality types they describe tend to bleed over into each other. Like, what is the difference between a Slytherin being cunning and a Ravenclaw being smart? Like, right. And also, is it weird? Isn't it weird to separate all of these children and teach them the idea of classism and like, 
like, like it, it, you know, it seems like a fun, jolly, like, root for your sports team thing. But then when you think about, like, all of these people are going to grow up together, and then we also put all the purebloods in one house, that's kind of weird, right? This mm-hmm. show directly leans into this. The idea is the coven system was created by the emperor to basically put magic in line. There was a time on this island where everyone could do all kinds of magic. Basically, everyone was like Ida, and the emperor said, no, this is unacceptable, this is chaos, this is utter madness, I'm putting a stop to it. You can all of you have to pick one thing. You can only do one kind of magic. Um, and I like that, again, putting borders around your magic is di- like inherently lame, and I like that it leans into that. It leans into, no, putting people into groups like that is inherently wrong. It's not helpful. It limits everyone's potential. Um, it also does the whole, like, Harry Potter has a whole thing with its wands being semi-sentient to its owners, which results in the mm-hmm. ending of the series being this stupid bureaucracy between Harry and Voldemort being like, oh, do you actually own that wand, Voldemort? It might kill you if you use it. And it's like, why is this how we're deciding the fate of this world? Right. Whereas, like, you know, they make it a much bet. they do a much better version of that in this series with the Palismans, because the idea is you don't just get to pick your Palisman. You either carve it yourself, like, you either carve it and then it takes its form, or you find one that, like, connects to you. Like, Luce struggles to find a palisman because she's not sure what she wants, so thus none of the palismans can be what she needs. So, like, when she finally gets one during season three, it's because she has a moment where she's finally, like, I finally realize all I've ever wanted just people to appreciate and understand me. And that's when she finally gets her palisman because it's taught what the creature is ties to her emotional arc, which is such a better version of what Harry Potter does. I have a quick question. Does she ever return to the human realm? Well, I guess we said we're doing spoilers. Um, There are multiple episodes that cut back to the human realm. Um, I think if you noticed in the prom episode, uh, her mom has been getting letters from a mysterious, getting actual handwritten letters from someone claiming to be loose. Uh, the payoff to that is bananas. Um, but yes, season three begins in the human realm. Um, season two builds up to Emperor Bellus's grand scheme that requires him to return to the human realm. So they take that door to escape. Um, Interesting. And I think, like, and I've talked about Emperor Bellus a lot. And this is what, like, really gets me into the series. Emperor Bellus as a character, as a, like, because of course we're going to like Luce. Luce is what we want to be, a regular person thrown into a magical world who gets to experience all these things. You know, we're going to love Gus and Willow because they're little witches and wizards with their own little, like, dramas and adventures. You know, we're going to like Amity because shipping culture is too powerful. And, well, also she's a cool character. I'm being a jerk, but I'm being a bit glib. But she's actually a really well-rounded character as the series progresses. Um... But for me, Emperor Bellus is what makes it work, because, especially compared to Harry Potter, this is a series that is about something. Like, what frustrates me about Harry Potter is, it's a regular person getting swept up into a magical world, and discovering all the flaws and mistakes and problems with this magical world. And instead of challenging them or questioning them, he kind of just goes along with it. Like, I know this is well-tread ground by now, but, like, I need to, like, lay out the groundwork to, like, actually discuss this. Okay. Like, Like, you know... There's a reason why Harry and Voldemort's final fight is this weird, like, adjudicator bureaucracy about, like, oh, does this wand actually belong to you? Did you follow the rules? Because there's no ideological conflict. Harry's not bothered by anything he's seen. 
He doesn't care that the Ministry of Magic is incompetent and when it's taken over by evil people is a mechanism for horror. He doesn't care that there's little slavery in this universe. He doesn't care that they have a place called Azkaban where they literally suck the life out of people. Like, that's water off his back. At the end of the day, he's like, well, we beat the bad guy, so I guess everything's fine. Like, right. this whole series, like, the villain is an ideological opposition to our protagonist. He is no different than, like, Luce's principal being like, she's too out of control, she's too all over the place, she needs to go to a camp to learn how to be normal. Like, it is the same problem she was facing at home, but stretched out to a magical high-stakes scenario, like, life-and-death scenario. And, like, I love how, like, I'm trying to think of how to word this, but, like, and I love how they, as we progress through the series, they lean into that even more. Like, we get a scene with his, her mom, where her mom is in the principal's office, and he's just straight up saying, she's different, that's not good, don't you want a normal daughter? Don't you want things to be normal? Don't, wouldn't that just be better for everyone? And I love, again, that is exactly what she's facing in the demon realm, and she has to prove people wrong in a different way there. Like, the villain's evil plan to get rid of weirdness is inherently tied to what our protagonist wants and what the world should be. So, like I said, Emperor Bellos was originally a human named uh, Philip. The idea is, later in the series, someone finally tells Luce, like, you're not the only human who's been here. There was one other human who, like, traveled through here and then went missing. He, like, he has a book in the library with, like, all of his writings in it. And he discovers, she discovers that he was trying to get home, too. She was, he was trying to build a portal to get back home. And through a series of complications, it's revealed that Philip was Emperor Bellos. He was here, mm. like, he was a witch hunter who got trapped in this world and has slowly been building up a plan to kill, erase all of the witches. He's building up to a day called the Day of Unity, where he's like, oh, the Titan will, like, grant us everlasting peace. When in reality, he's created a draining spell. Everyone who has, like, a coven, who has, like, the coven mark, will get their powers drained and slowly die. That's, like, his grand plan. Okay. And I like, and I like him as a villain because, again, compared to Voldemort, Voldemort is all of the aesthetics of a fascist. He is, like, it's like, the writer of Harry Potter, like, clearly wants to play on the aesthetics of, like, authoritarianism and fascism, but doesn't seem to understand, like, how those things work. Whereas this series does a really, really good job of, like, underlining how something like this happens, how fascism right. takes over. Like, one of the things I really like is, when Luce finally puts it together who the Emperor is, he's like, it's so nice to be called Philip again. I kept, I had to change it after Philip got ran out of too many towns. Like, it understands, like, oh, yeah, a lot of it is branding and rebranding. Like, fascists rarely take over on the first go. They usually have to, like, rebrand right. themselves and change their tune. Like, it understands, like, the shoddy theatrics of it all. The fact the Emperor wears this cartoonish mask and, like, does mm. all of these tricks and does all of these grandstanding speeches about like oh the titan has spoke to me literally we go into his past and literally see him on like a stage being like ladies and gentlemen you've all been led astray here i can show you the future um with literal like fireworks and stuff um there's a great line in the series where king just mentions like loose most of these people are following the emperor at this point because they don't want to find out they were rooting for the wrong person and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of a basic way of viewing it, but it's accurate. Like, that's how this happens. Like, because at some right. point you just get in too deep and you just have to lie to yourself and keep going. <laughs> Question. Um, 
what would you say do you could you narrow everything down to like a single favorite episode or like if you could do like what what you did for me like if someone only has the attention span to see a single episode of the show what what should they go for Oh, that's a tough one. I'm literally looking through the episodes right now. Um, if I don't honestly, to... I think the prom one is is a good contender for that. Yeah, I would say the prom one only because I feel like it covers as as much of the series sort of appeal as possible in terms of like yeah, it's off, it's weird, silly world building, it's weird grotesqueness, it's emotional poignancy with its characters, and it's like, you know positive lgbtq representation like everything that's fun about it how people use their powers in creative ways i think that's the best example of that but yeah like for me again it's like as someone who really liked harry potter and was really struggling with like man there's just a spot there you know when you get have to give it up there's just nothing there and then really just sitting down and looking at all the pieces of outhouse and realizing it is it's everything harry potter aspired to be in terms of like oh, a magical, like, a normal girl finding a magical world and finding the power in herself to take down an authoritarian regime. Like, it captures all of that so much better than Harry Potter did. Especially because, like, especially because I love that both, like, the protagonist and the villain are kind of from the same ilk. They're from the same kin. They were outsiders brought into a magical world. It's established that Philip and his brother were like orphans who ended up coming to this town that had witch hunters and they just took up the mantle. And then when his brother Mm. gets sucked into the witch's world, he follows after. Um, As one character aptly puts it, yeah, his older brother got a hot witch girlfriend and he got jealous, so... hmm. Um, (laughs) And it's like, well, yeah, that is kind of how a lot of young men become fascists, isn't it? Again, it's... Yeah, it is. It's one of the most painfully well-observed series in terms of, like, explaining complicated... Like, complicated emotions, complicated world problems, and complicated systemic problems, but at a level that children can understand them. Like, it never tries to describe these things in too, like, heady terms, which is what I'm worried I'm doing right now. Like, it approaches them in simple, like, character-based actions and reactions that make, like, make 100% sense for any audience member. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you um, mentioned that because one of my favorite jokes is from the prom episode when like those three things that are like Lucy's fears, like when she's sort of practicing Mm -hmm. how to fight um, the monster or whatever. And one of them is supposed to be like a sort of neck beard incel and it has a fedora and it's like milady. Like it's like tipping. It's like, like it's fedora. And I was like, this is such a specific internet joke. What is it doing here? Right, and that's what, I also just like it because it's like, I don't know, like, I like, I like magic that takes place in the modern day, like, I like that, like, a lot of, even on the aisle, a lot of their reference pools are weirdly millennial, as because, like, because those are bleeding into each other constantly, so yeah, someone would have seen an iPhone and been like, oh, I can make a version of that, and they make, like, a little scroll thing that creates the illusion of an internet, like, I love that stuff, like, because... It's what we talk about with, like, Hercules and Aladdin. It's good shorthand. It's simple shorthand that lets the audience mm-hmm. understand this world while still making it fun and whimsical. Um, like, we've talked about how important representation is, and I love it in this show because, again, it is the not just subtext. It is the text of the show. It is that, 
Like, a right. world that is wild and free and diverse is good. And the forces of evil in this universe are people who want to put people... Who want to create groups and to wipe those groups out. Yeah. Like... Yeah. Like, I also... I also like that there's just no... Like, I don't know. Again, because compared to Harry Potter, where the villain's goals are just like, oh, I want power, rah, rah, rah. I have no real ideology other than power. Where it's yeah. like... Like, Philip is very clear. Like, he is a true believer in this nonsense. He is a true believer in this, like, witch hunter ideology. Yeah. He is a true believer in, like, this, oh, your souls are poisoned, they're toxic, I am going to purge this world for the betterment of everyone. Like, it's it's pretty mm. wild that a Disney Channel show is pretty explicit, not like, I'm going to blow up the world, I'm going to commit, no, no, I'm going to commit a genocide. I'm going to erase a species of people. Like, I don't know. That's pretty, like, bold for Disney to be that, like, specific and that real with, like, a villain's intentions. Right. Um, Yeah, it, like, again, it is a show, it is a show made by a diverse group of people that is incredibly well observed about how systemic problems grow and how they seek to make us lesser. And on top of that, it is also just a funny, weird show that, like, if you told me in like, high school, that Disney would make something like this, I would call you a maniac. Like, even in the Frozen era, where Disney became cool again, I'm like, yeah, they wouldn't do something like that. Get the (laughs) hell out of here, man. No, yeah. Um, okay, so kind of tee us up for what's coming on Saturday, or or this weekend. Like, what, what is the event? What's happening? So, basically, the entire final season has been about getting back to the Demon Realm. When they last left... Basically, they managed to stop Belos' plan, but just barely. They basically had to make a deal with the devil. Basically, like, as the series progresses, you find out the only reason why the Emperor has been able to do all of this, basically how he was able to amass so much power so fast and use magic that no one's ever thought of before, is because he's been using this character called the Collector. And normally I'm, like, against, like, oh, we're introducing a secret bad guy at the very last minute. I'm like, really? But... I love how, like, eloquently they've, like, seeped this character into the backstory. You realize they've kind of been around this whole time. This idea that there was, like, basically Mm -hmm. a third party beyond, or, like, a fourth party. Not Not a witch, not a demon, not a titan, but some creature from the stars. And, like, it's established, like, oh, yeah, there used to be a lot of these collectors who would, like, go around and, like, scoop up things that they thought were worth preserving. It's literally the collector from Marvel, but, like, a bunch of them, and they travel. They don't just have a little house. Um, I gotcha. Okay. And this collector, well, one, like, I love the subtext of, like, this collector taught Philip that if he, like, basically sucked the souls out of palismans, he could live forever. And, like, he, and again, mm-hmm. it ties into that whole magic as a radioactive force. Like, by the time we get to the Emperor, he's barely able to keep his physical form together. He's basically turning into a monster because he's just been so, like, mm-hmm. he's basically just been eating magic for thousands of years now. Um Right. But, yes, so the Collector comes in, immediately solves the problem, yeets, yeets the Emperor into paste, and then basically, <laughs> like, because the idea is, like, oh, this is a kid Collector who's the most dangerous kind of Collector because he's not, like, some old right. guy who has, like, really dark... He's not, like, some scary creature from beyond space who has this singular goal of, like, preserving life. No, he's a kid who wants to play games and has the powers of, like, infinity at his disposal, like he's right. literally he yeah. literally starts turning like all of the uh, like residents of the boiling aisles into toys to play with 
And basically King, as the last Titan, is trying to appeal to him of like, hey, hey, let's not hurt anyone. We can just play a game. It's Everything's going to be fine. And in the right. process, Luz and her friends manage to escape. They're coming back to the Boiling Isles. And basically, the Collector is found out they're back, and he's wants he doesn't want them to ruin his fun time. So basically, it is, can they talk the Collector down from the ledge? Can they make sure Bellos is gone? And how will our little found family reunite? Right. Um, you know, hmm. will King, Ida, and Luce get to live together? And also, like, Luce has a lot of guilt. She blames herself for the Emperor. Like, a lot of his most powerful magic inadvertently came from her. So will she be able to find a middle ground between the demon world and the human world? Because right now she's like, I can't come back here after we solve this. Right, yeah. And, like, if she doesn't come back, that's a loss. Like, she's she basically conformed in the way she didn't want to. Okay, so with all of that, like, to kind of wrap up here a little bit, like, because I mean, maybe you've sort of talked about this a bit in your comparisons to Harry Potter, but, like, what are the elements that work for the show, or the ingredients, rather, that work for the show that need to be incorporated more often in in storytelling, um, specifically for children's animation going forward? Well, I would say diversity, but I feel like that's already happening. Like, I feel like sort of the dance, this, you know, this and Steven Universe took the lumps, and now, like, it's a lot easier to do these things. Like, people stood their ground and made sure the next generation of creators had a little more room to work. In terms of... Right. I will say, like, strong... For me, there's a lot of different things. One, again, that simple, complex character that you, you can understand them in any single episode, and it'll like you can watch two different episodes and understand them completely, regardless of how deep or emotionally resonant that episode is. Um, mm-hmm. World building that directly ties into who the characters are. Like, don't just think of all this fun lore and backstory and then have your characters just be completely independent of it. They have to be made of the same right. stuff. Like these, uh, that's an interesting yeah, one. The world, like, if your world doesn't reflect your characters in some way, then why are they in that world? Why don't you just make a different world for them to be in? Right. Like again, it's then it's like Legos. Okay, put them in the old West world. It doesn't matter. Um, right. I'd argue that's yeah. also honestly it's the strength of a lot of the recent um, Disney Channel shows, especially Amphibia, because that leans into the idea of metamorphosis as like, oh, these characters need to grow. Um, right. Having Again, not holding bone, like, make an actually scary villain or an antagonistic force. Like, mm. I feel like, and this inadvertently ties into the whole, like, Disney doesn't do real villains anymore. Like, this mm-hmm. is a Disney villain right here. Just a pure malevolent force of evil. Um, right. And I love that the show is still hilarious, despite this character being completely po-faced and scary. Like, n- the Emperor right. does n- never makes jokes. That's his whole... Like, he just does not make jokes. It reminds me of my fav- one of my favorite, like, pitch Bible things from an animated show. The Adventure Time pitch Bible is, like, goofy, and it's making memes and references, and then it gets to the page for the Lich King, and it just has... The Lich is not funny. Mm-hmm. And then it's just a very serious description of this character. Right. Um, and honestly, work within the confines you have. The funny thing for me is, as disappointed as everyone is including the creators that the show is ending early and there's a big push to now that there's like kind of hard empirical data about how popular this show is 
like there's a movement to add more episodes or like create spinoffs or just like flesh out the world more. And I would argue this show is a masterclass of being handed lemons and making some pretty decent lemonade. Like I think one of the show's strengths is that because these last the second season was shortened and the third season isn't a real season, like it forced them to be very economical with like you know, stay focused, like really dig into what's strong about the series and commit to it 100%. Like, we don't have a lot of room for just, like, one-off episodes, as fun as they would be. And again, it ties into sort of what I talked about with, like, it's an accurate depiction of how fascism works. So much of Ida's emotional struggle is, like, she's getting attached to this kid really, really fast, and the world is about to get very, very bad very, very fast. Mm. She literally is just like, look, this she's a kid. She can't be here right now. She can't be here when things are breaking bad. I need to get her out of here. And like Mm -hmm. the fact that the show is so able to work within the confines that it has is great. Like we would all love to have like six seasons in a movie, but in reality that just doesn't really happen all that often. And that can be for good or for bad reasons, but like playing in the space that you have can reveal like strengths. Like again, I would argue, especially the second season, this show is tight. There is very little fat on this thing. Right. And I think I that ultimately results in a stronger like series, a stronger narrative, like a narrative that answers just enough questions that you want more, but doesn't over answer. And then you get tired of it or feel like that right. answer was dumb. Like, I kind of hope they don't explain what hootie is now. I'm like, right. I like that. There's just, there's hooties in the world. Those are just things yeah. that can exist. I kind of hope they don't explain where Ida's curse came from. Like, we have just enough to kind of piece it together, but it doesn't, you know. Right. That's not, it, it doesn't matter. The Like, the emotions of that curse are what matter. Right. Okay, bring us home. Yeah, I don't know. This was, a, this was one of those, this falls under the same camp as a Lego movie where I get really hyper because this is something I'm very passionate and have a lot of thoughts about. I hope that my thoughts were at least coherent. These are enough. great thoughts. Thank you. Like, I hope I was able to articulate why I think this show is so interesting. Why I do think that di- someday a lot of Disney executives will come to sort of kick themselves for, you know, for giving it the show. For not having listened to our podcast sooner. Well, yeah. I mean, look, there's an episode with time travel, and that's kind of one of my least favorite episodes because time travel's messy, and I'm not a fan. But, like, <laughs> we just need to find one of those, like, sand pits where you can travel through time and then be like, hey, man, like, at least make merch. Again, yeah. I just complimented the show for being right. brisk. But, like, merch. Merch the hell out of this. I want a little plushy. Right. Like, I want a plushy hoodie. I want, like, all kinds of silly stuff. Again, <laughs> like... Do you know how much freaking money Harry Potter has made from four primary colors? Oh, yeah. You have, like, eight covens. Go. Right. But, yeah, I hope I was able to explain why this show feels special, why this feels like a moment. Like, this will be, like, I feel like this will be a moment for Disney because, like, they might not make something this weird again. They might not make something this personal and, like, esoteric and, like, very, like, biting again. Like, mm-hmm. the 2020s will be remembered for a lot of things for Disney, but I do think this will be one of the faces, like, one of the faces of the company in terms of, like, what did this decade mean? If you could only pick, like, three or four things that define Disney this decade, what would it be? And I'm hard-pressed not to have this. Wow, that's a really good question. Like, <laughs> well, assuming that... We should answer that one day. Yeah, once the Disney desk is a little older, we can get into that. But, like... 
Yeah, I, yeah. I'm, like, thinking about, like, what are the stories that define this decade of Disney? And I'm hard-pressed not to think this is one doesn't deserve to be in that pantheon. I think you're absolutely right. But until we are walking home to the Owl House as winsome music and nostalgic music plays, I'm Carter. And I'm Sydney. Have a magical day. And thanks for listening. The Disney Desk is brought to you by Carter and Sydney. Follow us on Twitter at Disney Desk for the latest updates about the show. Want more of the most magical podcast on earth? The Disney Desk is now on Patreon. For exclusive weekly bonus content from us, go to patreon.com slash Disney Desk and become a patron for as little as $3 a month. Thank you.